And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers, and welcome to episode number 16, recorded on March 3rd, 2014, of PNR's This Old Marketing. As we always say, we'd certainly love a review of the show, especially if you like it. How's that for a hint? And please do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher or Carrier Pigeon or the heck, I'll even hand deliver it to your inbox if you like. All these subscription links, along with every episode's lovely show notes and general awesomeness of everything we talk about today, you can find in our show post on our very own, very fancy corner of the web, thisoldmarketing.com. And as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, a LinkedIn content marketing influencer who would never seen send a mean LinkedIn email to somebody looking for a job. <laughs> Joe, how are you, my friend? You had to start out with that one. You know, it figures <laughs> I did Cleveland, indeed. Ohio gets international news. And it's negative. And of course, Again. it's negative, <laughs> let alone our football, baseball, basketball. And by the way, there was a great story in The Plain Dealer, our, our paper, about 50 years of misery with not having a championship. That's a whole other story, though. So, Well, it sounds like you're not going to have a LinkedIn championship anytime yeah, you know, soon I mean, either. I'd love to get your take on it. I mean, just so everybody knows what we're talking about. So, so Kelly Blazik now um, will be infamous in Cleveland history. She... She has the a local job bank in Cleveland, Ohio, and a somebody that was looking for a job and to join the job bank emailed her, and she just basically took this girl to town to task and said how she had a toxic yeah. freakout is and, what she and, had. And then it got out later that, you know, of course, and then the, this goes viral, and then we find out that this is not the only one she said. I've actually know a couple people that are friends of mine that have had interactions. I I learned after the fact and. So now, you know, it's all – I couldn't believe it. Uh, we, were, we were just talking before. <laughs> CNN, The Guardian covered it from the U.K. Uh, New York Daily News is on it. I mean, everybody covered this story about what not to do. And what was the funniest thing, though, when I, I heard about it, it was probably an hour after it started going viral. So everybody in Cleveland's getting it. And the first thing I do is, oh, I've got to check out her blog. I didn't know her. I said, I've got to check out her blog. i got to check out her Twitter account. And she deleted them. Both. She All deleted everything. The she deleted too? everything she had. She deleted her LinkedIn account. Wow. So she, I mean, talk about a freak out decision. I mean, <laughs> you can't get that back. Well, that's and you know that's the thing. The funny thing, what what struck me was, I, when she actually when I first saw it, and I saw it on somebody's Facebook post, I thought this is brilliant. This could be truly brilliant marketing if she could become the soup Nazi of. LinkedIn sort of requests and sort of do it in a really clever, interesting way where you actually kind of want to get one of her nasty grams. That would be just so wonderful and genius, you know, but it just wasn't, first of all, it wasn't that cleverly written that you would, you know, that you could sort of see the tongue in cheek nature of it. It was just plain old mean. So, but uh, goodness gracious to go completely, I guess, nuclear and, and get rid of everything you've got is a little, well, it's, a little extreme, it, I guess. Well, I mean, guess what, 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 are we, what should we expect? I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah, what should we expect? What did you say? What should we expect from Cleveland, Ohio, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, not Cleveland. Not Cleveland. Uh, I love I could, Cleveland. You know, that's the thing that surprised <laughs> me the most because this is a, I mean, she won some IABC communicator of the year. I'm sure they're really happy about that. They chose her as a communicator <laughs> of the year. And the first thing is right. to, you know, go hide and dump everything, all that, you know, I just can't believe that she dumped her accounts. Anyways, 
it's it's pretty amazing. Did you watch the uh, Did you watch the Academy you know, I stayed Awards up last till night? About uh, you know, I had to, of course, see a little bit of Kevin Spacey and see him. Uh, I was hoping he would mention Content Marketing World, but he didn't, unfortunately. But but no, I stayed up till about about ten thirty, and then I watched the rest of it today and watched uh, you know Matthew McConaughey's speech and and I the one thing I wanted. Did you see the picture? Of course, everybody knows about the selfie. Sure. So that went viral, and she, you know, said she broke Twitter and whatnot. Yeah, she actually did break Twitter. Did. They did. I yeah. know. I couldn't believe it because Pam, you know, uh, my wife was trying to uh, check that out, and she's like, "I can't get it. Twitter's down." But the one thing, did you see the picture that was taken from up top um, of of that selfie? Did you see it? No. Oh, you should see it. It's so sad because everybody's huddled around, and then there's in the back Liza Minnelli can't get in the picture. Oh, no. I know. It was so so horrible. I mean, she had the worst night. First of all, she got called out by Ellen for being a guy. Oh, oh my God. When she said that, I was like, oh, dear. Oh, I mean, goodness gracious. (laughs) I just got me near. You know, when she says, you look great, sir. (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. Any anything that stand? I mean, you're you're the Hollywood guy. So anything that well, stood out I to thought you? it was. Yeah, I thought it was. So first of all, I loved that Ellen kept it looser than normal. You know, usually it is so tightly scripted and so just, you know, stiff that I love the fact that she brought pizza in for everybody. I loved that she was sort of walking up and down the aisles going, hey, how you doing? And it you could tell it was just not scripted right it was just yep. you know they she she I, i'm assuming she said to the producers i'm just gonna kind of go with it and you're gonna kind of have to i mean when she pulled the lip balm out of you know I, and i'm not even gonna try and pronounce the she won best uh, best supporting actress um for 12 years a slave when she pull, pulled the lip balm out of her purse and put it into her pocket and then pulled it out later and was like this is your parting gift this is your tip for the pizza i mean it's just it's you know, it's it. She she must have had some agreement to say, "I'm just going to go do this, and and you're going to have to trust me on it." And well, it, I think it really worked out. I think it did work, but it was funny because I was watching some of the the tweets go back and forth, and I can't remember who I who said it, but said, "Well, well, something happened, and all the writers got fired halfway through the Oscars." Yeah, exactly. It exactly. did seem like that, right? It just went into yeah. pure like whatever Ellen wanted to do. That's what we were doing. But the so. but the great thing was is it made you want to watch it, right? It made you it made you want to actually experience it which i which i it's been a while since i've really wanted to sort of stick around and and um and and hang out you know and not just you know skip through everything oh good stuff well i mean probably should get to news we are on to the news (laughs) we got a lot of news we got a lot of news to cover and um well the first one is uh on you actually you sent me this link about linkedin introducing a brand new feature yeah, I mean, this is, and we were actually talking about whether to bring this up, but um, it's more of a social media thing, but affecting our audience because we're all on LinkedIn. And then LinkedIn just announced this member blocking uh, where basically you can, you know, anybody that connects with you, you can block them in any way. And of course, you know, you and I have been hit by, you know, certain people that, that try to approach you in, in different ways and whatever. And, it probably is a useful tool. So I think the oh, fact it's an that incredibly yeah, useful tool. the fact that you can disconnect with certain people and you can you can customize your profile in new ways and you can have certain things visible and not visible. I mean, they're really giving you a lot of custom customizing control over your profile and who you connect to. And and I guess my whole take in this is just that it's available 
And if you're active on LinkedIn, you should check it out. We'll put it in the show notes. And I don't know if you had anything to add to that one. Well, the only thing I'll add is is that it's extraordinarily timely for me. I mean, I literally today got my first Nigerian 419 scam direct mail through LinkedIn. So it was like, yes, block you. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So anyway. Um, did you, by the way, did it work thing. out for you? I mean, did you? Did, did you find some like a million dollars or like what was the well, apparently, well, apparently, Joe, I mean, I, and I don't want this to be the notification of my last show or anything, but there are millions of dollars waiting for me. Um, the guy's aunt died, apparently, and she's royalty. And, you know, I'm not sure if you know this, but I can basically help them out. All I need to do is wire them a few hundred thousand dollars and then I'm going to get a few million in back. So, you know I'm what? Really the sad thing it. is that because it's been going on this long, it works. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> somebody is always saying, oh, my gosh, I got to help. That's right. Darn well, the, uh, yeah, I mean, not to belabor this point, but I've actually heard that that's the one of the things that they actually do is purpose. All the typos and everything are actually they do that on purpose because what they figure is, is that the people who will actually fall for it are the people who will actually follow through with it. And so they actually, it's a it's a psychological thing to say if you're so stupid that you're gonna fall, you're not gonna notice the typos. You're so stupid that you would actually do it. So it's, <laughs> I love that. So the next news item is 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 one that I found. In fact, I had a discussion with somebody on Twitter um, of this week about this, which I thought was just fascinating. It comes from the Guardian of all places. Um, not to not to belabor our friends in in the UK, sort of talking about content marketing this week, but it was a story by Bob Garfield, and the title of it, the headline is: "If native advertising is so harmless, why is it decep- uh, deceiving to people?" And this was just a really annoying article for me. I mean, because to me, and the guy who actually tweeted me actually said, do you find this article valuable? And I said, no, I don't. And the really interesting thing to me was he, he, well, first of all, he starts with this weird Faustian metaphor of talking about how the publishers are Faust or the advertisers are Faust and somebody's the devil and making a deal. I mean, it's just very convoluted. And then the weird thing is, is that he actually kind of you know, it kind of gleefully, if you ask me, he talks about how publishing is dying. It's a dying form. And then says native advertising has been around forever as advertorial. And then says the attempt for publishing to change or evolve is unethical. I mean, to me, it was kind of like saying, you know, to the dying patient, yeah, that brand new medicine, you know, the one that's untested, it might kill you. And then yelling at the patient that wants to try it anyway. I mean, it's 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 insane to me that he's he's taking such a weird stand on this. It's it's kind of like, you know, he's just it seems very whiny to me. Well, I you know, we've heard the the naysayers about native. I mean, basically this is an anti-native advertising story. Which by the way, what was really funny about it is the link in the article where he's basically slamming native advertising. Native advertising is linked when he says native advertising and it's linked to native advertising. I know. I know. <laughs> And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes, the irony is strong and, with this well, one. Well, <laughs> because the people that are, yeah, because the web people are, are linking to the stories they're supposed to link to. Anyways, right. I just thought that was, that just cracked me up. It's, the, it's, now, it's, the, the issue is, here's what was my issue. Say, so we, we know that is native advertising the best thing for publishers? It may or may not work. I don't think it's a good uh a good thing to do good business model for all publishers. I think there's there's ways to do it off site, there's ways to do it on site. You know, we've been through native 
every I think every episode we've talked about native. Sure, I, but I I think the the issue that I had with the article is so what? Like okay, you don't like it? Are you the people that aren't going to do it? Uh, you just want them to go away because they're not. Nobody's buying more uh, you know regular display or banner ads, are they? No. I mean, are I, I don't think they are. What no, are they going to buy? They're going to buy more ads that ads that are con- converting, that are engaging with uh, customers and users, ones that they can show some kind of return for, or or back to their sites or whatever the case is. So it goes through this whole diatribe of oh, it's bad, you shouldn't do it. But then at the end of the day, it says hey, we want it the way it used to be. To your point, what it, what did it used to be? This is not a huge departure. I think it's I, – I, mean, I don't know. I was lost as well as you are. I don't even know yeah. if there's a point to it. I, well, yeah. I mean, well, his point, he, he, his point sort of wraps in on itself when he basically says, we want it like it used to be where everything was very clear and advertorials were in different type set and, you know, you could very clearly see all of this cuffs because that's what's ethical – and then, but, you know, four paragraphs before that, he talks about how publishing is dying and everybody doesn't want ads and everybody, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's crazy, right? So trying to, you know, the publishing industry trying to evolve and change into something that's more interesting, more seamless, more experiential for the user that may be actually sponsored by a marketer, he seems to decry as sort of foul play. But, you know, it's sort of, I, anyway. Well, I, I think it's it, the problem is I'm a little bit more cynical that it comes to the, the biases of all media. That's my problem. So I mean, when you say, "Oh, we're we're hardline journalism," and I always say, "Well, you're you're owned by Rupert Murdoch, Murdoch, <laughs> right? You're, right. You're, you know, this is MSNBC. I mean, come on." Yeah. So that's that's my take on the whole thing. I guess I'd like to give consumers a little bit more credit when it comes. Yeah, to Yeah, exactly. But then, well, but then if you if you check the and we'll put this in the show notes, but if you check the the comments of that, there'll be people that say. There was one person that said clearly, you know, we have to give consumers a little bit of credit. And if it's something that's valuable to them, you know, whether they probably know it's sponsored, it's okay. But then there was a comment right under is because don't you know that most people are idiots? I mean, so it's just right. Right. Who knows, man? Right. I, I don't mean, know. I mean, I, I, have, I have more faith in humanity than that, I guess. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Me too. All right. Moving on to the next story. And this was – there's sort of three articles here that came out all at once this last week, which were – Really, just fascinating to me, and sort of synthesized together, come to come to a really interesting, uh, interesting set of questions, um, and they were all around agencies and content marketing. And we've talked before, Joe, about you know agencies and their ability to handle the approach of content marketing, where they are in content marketing, how they define content marketing in many cases. And the three articles here, and of course we'll put them in the show notes, but there was basically one by a guy by the name of Chris Boyles who asks in the headline, can agencies actually you know, handle content marketing? And he makes just, I think, three excellent points where he talks about you know, the audience, not the client. It's all about earned uh, and owned, not paid. And he talks about the importance of strategy. And just really, I think, nails it and basically at the end poses a question to say, you know, so many agencies these days take sort of this ready, shoot, aim approach when it comes to getting the work done for their clients. Can they actually do this? Yes, they. he comes to the conclusion they probably can, but it's going to mean a, a fundamental change and one that he's actually experienced as well. And then you combine that with this other article, which interestingly enough comes from the same publication, Digiday. Um, where they talk about the five reasons that brands are now cutting agencies, 
where they talk about some of these same things, where it's basically saying, you know, that you are probably, as the client, you're probably paying too much. And I can tell you that I'm hearing that from from clients that they're saying we're hiring agencies to create content for us for content marketing purposes and we're discovering that it's just way too expensive so we need to bring this in-house and that you can't outsource one of your most important assets the creative point of view or the creative sort of differentiator and they even bring up Jonathan Mildenhall in this the uh, worldwide creative head of uh, Coca-Cola so it's an interesting thing, I, and I wanted to get your take on this. You know, so from sort of the looking at top down, what do you think about sort of the ad agencies, creative agencies, boutique agencies, and their ability to sort of get content marketing holistically? Well, the one thing that I agreed with this piece is that you can't outsource strategy, and yeah. we've worked, and you and I have worked with a lot of brands that that basically say, oh, you know, content marketing, check the box, agencies doing that for us. So that's a big issue. So on this, that one, I totally agree with that you have to have strategy in-house. I think the other thing is we've talked about this before, about the idea of execution and execution of, of content marketing, and that's what agencies really want, right? They don't really – I'm I'm, I don't want to make a broad generalization because you and I, we know some really amazing content agencies, and we also of know course. some really horrible, <laughs> horrible right. ones as well. And the horrible ones, they'll do anything for the execution of the project. And I've seen this happen a million times where a brief will be set to them or a RFP or whatever the case is, and the brand will say, you know, we want to do, let's just say, a custom print magazine and based on these objectives. And rarely do I ever see that I've seen, rarely do I ever see an agency step up and say, you know what, for what you're trying to do, you shouldn't do a magazine. Because if they're set up to actually produce a custom magazine or whatever big micro site, they're going to price it out and they're going to do it because they want the execution. Of course. More than anything else. And that's where mistakes happen and that's where you get charged a lot and underperformance happens. So, you know, absolutely, I would say that. The one thing that I liked in the comments of the, uh, of the second article was said, hey, you know, I, I get your whole points about agencies, but what I did like, he, he said, I would make that case with really large agencies and really large enterprises because it seems to me that that ha- it happens more with the big big brands because you've got these big agencies that have been working on these large creative and paid media programs and it's so hard for them to move into this more nimble aspect of of creating content on a you know daily weekly basis in multiple formats and really focusing on subscribers i mean what what's your take on that i i absolutely agree and i'll say you know i'll i'll say two points to that and one of them will actually be in defense of those agencies and 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 the first thing is is that i absolutely would agree that it's about the you know and this this feeds to a larger trend that this is no surprise i mean this is not revolutionary by any stretch this has been talked about in many circles that you know brands are now the the whole aor large single agency that drives everything for a brand is just gone those days are gone and and the number of agencies that any one brand will employ for any number of things including digital and print and television and radio and uh, creative and strategy and you know one sheets and i mean just for everything you can think of in marketing is is mind-boggling you know you you see the same logo from the same big brands across just about every agency that that there's that trend i will say in defense of some of the larger agencies though a lot of this is because the brands themselves are finding it hard to pivot into something that's more nimble and not top dra- top down driven right so in many cases that cmo or that 
marketing or brand team is sort of acting in this sort of command and control hierarchical uh, sort of way that makes it really hard for the agency to do anything nimble and innovative and sort of break out of the box of sort of the next big thing because they're always just scared of getting kicked to the curb. And when you're so scared of getting kicked to the curb because you haven't brought out the next huge, uh, huge thing, then it just becomes an impossible an impossible task. No, I, I totally agree with you. I guess the last thing that I would leave here because I got this question the other day, Robert, was you know, I'm looking at a number of content marketing agencies, you know, which ones should I choose? And I said, well, before you really get into all that detail, go onto their site, look at their own marketing. I said, are they doing their own content marketing? Check out their own content marketing programs and see how much they believe in it. Yeah. And I really think that's a, a really good litmus test today when it comes to content marketing, because if you look at the, the greatest agencies out there right now in content marketing, they all have really robust content marketing programs, and the posers don't. And it, it's, it's something to start with. It's a, it's a huge it's – a, it's, it's a great point. It's an excellent point. The other thing is – the, I'll often, when somebody asks me that, and in fact, a client just asked me the other day, what, you know, we want to hire a content marketing agency, which one should we hire? And I put up our framework, you know, the, the seven-step framework, and I said, which part of that are you trying to solve? Which, you know, which, which of that is the, is, the, is the part that you want them to solve? Are you looking for a strategy agency? Are you looking for someone to help you develop a story? Are you helping for someone to help you execute against channels? Are you helping for someone to help you measure better? Or, you know, and so on and so on. And if the answer is all of that, well, then let's talk about that. And they're, they're, that's certainly a viable answer. But usually the answer is one of those things. Yep. And, and, you know, and producing content is just one of those things. So on that, I think that we can wrap up the agency talk. And can we talk about the Miracle Grow? Are we there yet? I think it's a great segue. Yeah. It's a great segue. This was a wonderful story in the New York Times that talked about how Miracle Grow is, you know, talk about finding your story. I mean, I think this, uh, the, the first part of this, the headline, and I won't, I won't tease the headline too much because I know you have a take on this, but the, the, the headline I love so much about this is, is how they have incorporated the word grow. Yeah, it's grow something greater. I mean, it always bothers me when I look at a content marketing program and it says the campaign because I, I get a little twitchy. I'm like, oh, don't say campaign. But anyways, they go through, though. I mean, it's a New York Times article. They go through the campaign. Uh, they've got a number of, if you go to the website that we'll put in the show notes, I think it's growsomethinggreater.com. They have a bunch of different stories about, oh, you're curious or you want to uh, you want to grow certain things or you're new at growing. And so they've got a lot of how-to and a lot of inspirational uh, type of content. And it's all around growing something. And, and in a lot of cases, and I checked out some of the videos that were on there, they don't mention Miracle Grow. Sometimes they show it. It's not a product pitch in any way. It's usually pretty helpful. Um, so I really do like the overall feel of it, but I guess the one thing I have a, the quick take, and then I'd love to get your take on it. It feels really short term to me. Yeah. And it feels really, because it's basically, and, and they're asking you, Hey, what's your, uh, you know, miracle grow example. I mean, I love everything about it, but when I go to the site, it's built for, wow, it's built for, uh, boy, this is really pretty. It's not really built for usability. So that bothers me. Uh, and the way they have it set up, if I had to guess, I would, I would be, and I'm going to make, I'll make a prediction here. I would bet in 12 months, this is something completely different 
So I love the concept. I love the direction. I don't think it was built to last, and I think it was built more like a campaign. Maybe that's why they call it a campaign. So I love the fact that they're saying, look, we're going to help you grow. We're going to show you people that are they're struggling with the same things as you. We're going to put a nice spin to it. But, man, I just don't get that feel. I don't know. Do you? What do you think? Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, talking about, I mean, speaking of agencies and teams and getting stuff done, and actually, I mean, this this is just a, look, I, I can, it's like I feel the meeting that happened about, you know, the, the numerous meetings that happened about this project. And I see, you know, I literally can see in my mind the whiteboard that is, like just filled that you know people took their iPhone pictures of and all that stuff of amazing deep wonderful long lasting ideas that just didn't make the cut for whatever reason right to your point maybe it was because they weren't confident about it maybe it was because they felt like they wanted to test this idea first to see if it got any traction maybe it's because they don't really like it's literally is just a campaign i hope not to you know to your point i hope it's bigger than this the 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 thing i liked about it i mean i love the idea i mean if i didn't make that clear i absolutely love this creative idea it's it's bigger than they are it's talking about their approach their different it's the, it's differentiate i it's, mean it is trying you're right it's to your point to the words you use all the time they are trying to tell a different it's just story wonderful. there's no doubt about that but it, they yeah. but the execution of course is very limited now the, what i did like about it is that and i grew titch, twitchy as well when I saw the word campaign there and I went in and looked at it and what I what I liked about it was that it was an infusion, right? It was it was basically a wonderful infusion of traditional paid advertising into an owned platform, which was of course the website. What I didn't love, of course, was the website. I wanted the website to be a lot deeper, a lot more enriching, and I wanted it I wanted it to engage me, right? And what I saw was basically sort of you know, a little more than a tweet worth of content about things that weren't particularly usable or searchable or, you know, it just was, it was very pretty, but it didn't have a lot of depth to it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not to belabor it, but, but I'm hoping for bigger things with this idea because I think it deserves it. Exactly. Well, have you, have you seen Intel IQ? Yeah, remember that? I have. Absolutely. So, So what's interesting is when I first saw this, I said, oh my gosh, it sort of feels like Intel IQ. I mean, Intel spent... I don't know how long, six, nine, 12 months, maybe longer, trying to get Intel IQ up. A similar type of a, a flair around innovation, that the innovation everywhere. But now, if you go to Intel IQ, it looks more like a media site. Yeah. Much more like a media site. But before, it was like all blue, and there were things like dancing around. It was very agency. It was very overproduced. Yep. And that's what I would say with this one is, and I th- not as much as that one was to start with, this feels overproduced. And I think to survive, they're going to have to bring it down and just say, look, at some point people just want the content and they want something that's going to be helpful and they want something to share and talk about. And I think you just need to make that happen and get out of the way. Yeah, and my fear is is that, that this is going to perform like a campaign and it's going to be a short-term thing and they're going to let it die on the vine. And I'm just I'm, – I, that would make me sad because – it's a great. I mean, the, the the grow greater things idea is just such a wonderful. 
it's just so oh, they can take it. Idea. They can take uh, it forever. I mean, I, I think that's the thing, right? I mean, if the, we want this site to be the go-to resource for growers or for people that want to grow, that's a huge opportunity. There's a huge market there. They could really niche that down. I mean, it looks oh, it like could be growing t- spiritually. It's growing your yeah. business. It's growing your family. It's. Gr- I mean, it, I mean, just like it's. It's so wonderfully broad that they could they could generate such great emotional connections with this, as well as develop all of the amazing, as Jay Bear would say, utility content about how to grow and how. I mean, just I mean, it's uh, get me off on a rant, but no, it's, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I I think we I think we both agree. So I guess to Scott's miracle grow, we would like <laughs> to take this time in the presentation <laughs> to make sure. That this doesn't become just another campaign. Yeah. We would like this to be something more and something special to your customers. Yes, that is so exactly end, end right. Of, end of PSA. A- end of PSA, right. <laughs> this segment of the show brought to you by Now You Know. <laughs> and Now You Know. Okay. Moving on to the next story. This And this is one that got us both like just ranting and raving. So if that one didn't get us ranting and raving, this one most certainly will. John Battelle wrote a wonderful blog post, uh, and he will let you know that he wrote a wonderful blog post too, Um, but he wrote a wonderful blog post that basically says, you shouldn't build your brand on land you don't own. And this is just a warning shot across the bow because, of course, John Patel is quite famous. Um, His his own blog website, Patel Media, uh, and, uh, and you probably know his resume a lot better than I do, but... He basically says in no uncertain terms, he basically talks about how the companies that are building their brands on the backs of things like Facebook and Twitter and sort of what he calls leased land, this promise that Facebook has made and others, LinkedIn and Twitter are are doing the same thing where your page, the backs, you know, which was built on the backs of these brands going out and building audiences in these communities are now getting, you know, now the the landlords coming in and saying, "Hey, it's, you know, if you want to live here, it's mm-hmm. the rent's going up, right?" So what was your well, take on this? I mean, there's a couple parts of this that are brilliant. I mean, and you're right. He'll tell you they're brilliant. They're, <laughs> they are brilliant. I mean, so just a couple things I want to run through. So Google, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Yahoo, and Apple and apps anyways, but these are where people are and these are where we're tempted to build our land and build all our content. And he's saying his content is, you know, counsel is simple. Don't. And if you're thinking like a publisher, you'd never do that because you take all the control out. And that's what you're talking about with Facebook, right? I mean, Facebook, I love this whole thing about what happened. He says, for years and years, we were putting, you know, like us on Facebook and go to Facebook and, you know, check our page on Facebook. And we as brands were telling everybody to go to Facebook. And then they said, no, you know what? We're going to change our algorithm. Now you're going to have to pay. Sorry. You gotta, you gotta pay the meter. You're gonna have to pay, and we've been putting up with that, and now we're we're sucked into that. If we built all this our asset onto Facebook, and it's just so sad that this happened. But if you were a publisher, if you thought about this, and this was really cool. I don't know which part of this. This is sort of a long article. He said, quick, quick, name one successful publisher that built its brand on the back of a social plat- pra- platform. He says, can you do it? No. No. Never you been can. done. Of course. Never been done. It says maybe upworthy, but other than that, you know, if you count that, but everyone else, you know, they built them on their own platform. And of course you want the sharing on those other platforms, but you know, that's why, you know, you and I both counsel everyone's like, you know, why are you on Facebook? 
Why are you on LinkedIn? What are you doing there? Yes, you can connect there, you can engage there, but if you have a subscription strategy and an audience strategy, you, you don't, I mean, they could turn those off tomorrow. You're done. You That's don't right. own any of those connections. That's None right. of them. That's right. So I you, mean, you bet. I, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so I mean, just very quick history lesson here for Facebook, especially. And, you know, and if it's not clear, I'm not necessarily a Facebook fanboy. But, you know, we need to remember that a like used to be called become a fan. And the reason that they changed that, and they changed it, you know, a mere three years ago in 2010. And this was a real, this is a real Facebook quote. Because the reason they, the stated reason that they changed that was because, quote, users click like almost twice as much as they click, quote, become a fan. So the entire promise that Facebook wanted to, was, they wanted to make it easier for you to spend money as a brand to generate an audience for your brand page. And then if you went actually out and did that, spent the real money to go out and build a Facebook brand page, the implied promise was, you could aggregate this community or an audience, if you want to call it an audience, and have a way to reach it. So, you know, literally in the last whatever it is, two, three years, there's been this real discussion among, you know, those of us who advise people on this kind of thing to say, well, maybe top of the funnel isn't the right place. Uh, maybe you should be focusing on customer service, you know, really engaging your audience there once they've bought and making them more engaged. You know, there's lots of different strategies for how to really drive that engagement there. But the whole thrust of it is you're building a community that you can actually, that trusts you, that actually has, quote unquote, become a fan or liked you, and you should be able to communicate with them. And now basically the landlord is coming back and saying, yeah, but. We, you can't really do that anymore without paying more because, you know, we need you to – You're not everybody's going to – basically the building's too big now and you have to actually pay to reach all those people that you actually engaged and, and liked. It's, it's, it, is a, it is a warning shot to, to, for, for brands to think about their own media strategy and how they aggregate that audience. I'll tell you what. If Google Plus could get their act together in any way, there's a door open right now. There is a door open if Google Plus wanted to take some of this market share. I just don't know if they'll do it. I mean, that's when I remember watching Guy Kawasaki speak at uh, at Blog World a year, year and a half ago or whatever, and he was saying, I like Google Plus because if somebody chooses to follow me, they can see all my stuff. If they, if they like me on Facebook, at best, they'll see 5%. That's right. That's it. I mean... That's tough. I mean, if you were in the publishing business and you put out, I mean, like even for us, we put we put out a blog post a day, an ebook every couple of weeks, a webinar, whatever. If you said of all that content, of all the you know the ten posts that we put out, I, they're only going to see one. I can't do anything about it. I'd say I got to get out of the publishing industry. That's horrible. Yeah. There's no way I can. There's no way I can do it. I I can't make the economics of scale work, which is why it's in Facebook's favor right now. Because you absolutely have to advertise if you're a brand, or you can get them on your own platform, which is what John is saying, and I guess what what we're saying to everyone else. Nothing wrong with using Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We love them all. They're great for social sharing. But at the end of the day. Boy, don't build on rented land. Yeah, so. absolutely right. And there's, I mean, I, you know, when you were talking about that, about the Google Plus thing, I was actually at a conference. Well, it was at the Intelligent Content Conference that both you and I were at. I was actually, uh, I was actually speaking with someone in the hallway who was ta- telling me about, who had a little bit of advanced knowledge about some of the things that Google is doing 
um, on that score. And I, I am ne- nearly educated enough to talk about it here, but, but maybe on the next episode we can, we can, we, I can do a little more research and, and find out and we can, we can have a discussion about it. Ooh, uh, a cliffhanger. There you go. Oh, um, stay tuned until yes. next episode. <laughs> there you go. All right, so let's move on to our next story, which is an interesting one. Um, it seems to be the episode with people that were were pulling their articles and just sort of pooping all over them. Um, <laughs> uh, so this next one, journalism education at an inflection point. Um, this one comes from Pointer.org, which is, uh, of course, the well-known uh, journalism uh, school. Um, and... Interesting article here about the changes, how it was, it's from a speech, actually. The article comes from a speech that was given and talks about how education and journalism really needs to change. And, and well, you know, you, you're, the, you're the publishing guru here. What, what is your take on this in journalism education? Well, it's it's a, yeah. I mean, it's been passed around. It's sort of seeing a second second life on uh, on social. It's come. It, it's a, done a little bit a while ago. A speech from Howard Feinberg, but the basically talks about how getting a journalism degree isn't what it's used to, and it gives a couple stats. And basically, ninety x percent of academics say that having a journalism degree is of the utmost important importance, but only fifty percent of professionals feel the same way. So he's basically saying there's a that's a big divide between what we see and the value of actually having a a journalism degree. It goes on, and I think really the core of it. I mean, you, we talked about. I was trying to figure out what the meaning was in this whole thing, and I think the 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 thing that I got out of the whole thing is education is going to change. It is changing. What they found out in the stats that are in this. Uh, in this post talk about that online learning happens just as well, sometimes better in the online environment than in the in-person environment. So, you know, spending all that money that we do to go to these institutions might not be <laughs> as good as it is just sitting in front of a computer or a, or an iPhone or a smartphone or whatever. And my takeaway, I guess I'm, I mean, this is nothing to do with the article. But my takeaway is say, this was, wow, what an opportunity for brands. Yeah. What an opportunity to, because, by the way, all these really good academics and teachers and out there you know, doing their thing in whatever your industry are, they're available for you. They would teach on your platform. Uh, we actually, at Content Marketing World, coming up in September, we have the, the lady that runs the Schneider Electric uh, Learning University program. They've seen amazing results through that. Yeah. And teaching and educating all online. And, and I guess that if we really talk about the purest form of content marketing with all this disruption going on in, in education, and in this case, journalism education, I think there's an opportunity for brands. And I totally got off the subject, but I think it's so important that if you're a company out there, could you really be the trusted expert from a learning standpoint? I don't see why not today. I think it's an incredibly important point. I mean, he talks about, I mean, you know, the interesting, my take on it was, and I don't know that much about the practice of journalism, um, but what I do know is that, you know, when I when I watched his, uh, his article sort of unfold in the blog post was he kept teeing up this idea that journalism at this is an, at, at an inflection point and then basically didn't really offer a, a way out. He basically said, well, there's all these online education things that are out there and there's all these disruptive things that are happening, but it just basically needs to change, which I, you know, I like the fact that it's a big question and he didn't really try and answer it. But it's I think just exactly to your point, I think it it, it brings an incredible opportunity to someone who really does want to try and solve this. And, you know, content marketing and and the content and, and, and just 
the different ways that journalists now can actually make a living. I mean, I think it's in the most amazing time ever to be a journalist, quite frankly. And it's, you know, I mean, look, there, there's a new, another news article that we probably won't have time to cover today that, that from Wired.com where Mark Andreessen, and of course we'll put the, no, the link in the show notes, but talks about how he thinks news is due for a 1,000% increase. You know, and if you talk to people like Andrew Davis and from, uh, from Brandscape, who's, of course, a friend and family of the show, and, and as well as, you know, others who, you know, even, you know, Warren Buffett, who's buying newspapers. So the idea that news is dead is certainly not, you know. Actually, right. we need to cover this for one second. And yeah. I know we're, you know, we've been all over the place here, but this yeah. is so important because this article, and he's, in, you know, Andreessen is, is investing heavily into news sites and news startups. But, you know, we as we've been inundated with this whole, you know, as, as Mark Schaefer you know, coined content shock thing, this article, Andreessen says this the exact opposite. Right. Which is, uh, Andreessen, listen to this, Andreessen believes that the quantity of news consumed is now growing even faster than the quantity of news produced. I've never seen that in an article before in the last ever years. I mean, have you have, have you seen that in any other place? I have never seen that, but I absolutely buy it. Right? I mean, this is the classic, you know, uh, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna botch this quote, but and it's but and it's someone who 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 really knows what they're talking about. But it's basically that that famous quote that says, "Today there you know there used to be a thousand markets with millions of people in them, and now there are millions of markets with thousands of people in them." And and that is the real difference where we are today, and that's why this consumption for, you know, channels and content is has never been more opportunistic. Yeah, and then basically it goes, you know, and, and we'll sum this up. But he's talking about the model. The model is changing. I mean, for brands, it's easy, right? We want to sell more products and services. But on the media side, I mean, there's affiliate models that are really, really working well where you're just hooking up buyers and sellers. And I think that's the key is if you can create a news entity, media entity of some kind, and you don't have to rely on advertising or sponsorship itself, you can be very, very successful. And that I would agree with you. There may may not be a better opportunity than right now than I've ever seen to create a media company as long as the core money is not made off of advertising alone. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's about, you know, I mean, look, this is nothing new, right? You know, to to the theme of this show, this old marketing, it's this old business model. It's all about relationships and developing an engaging product with people and getting them to care about you and ultimately developing a relationship with those people so that they want to stay around with you for as long as they possibly can. And that's all there is to it. It's not much more complicated than that. Well, and, and you know what? We've been talking about this is like the Facebook issue, you know, episode that we've been talking about. That's what bothers me about <laughs> right. Facebook because the, the the sheer majority of all their revenue, almost all of it, is built off of advertising. That, as a shareholder, that bothers me. Absolutely, it does. That really, really bothers. And Google's the same way, right? Although Google is so diversified and doing so many other things, I can see that really starting to diversify because they've been doing R and D and so many other things. That's where I think that the Facebook WhatsApp purchase makes more sense because WhatsApp has a monthly subscription. Yep. And they're paid off of usage and not advertising, and that's huge for Facebook. Well, that brings us to our final news item, which is, I think, a really great segue, which is a, it was a wonderful post. Um, it's part of his podcast. Jay Bear this week um, put out a podcast where he talked about I just I thought this was just so spot on. He said, you know, the headline is Jay Bear thinks Facebook is more like uh, Verizon than Google, 
And I just think that's exactly right. I mean, because the point he makes, and, and one that I would uh, totally agree with, is that Facebook right now, and 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 Zuckerberg has said it right. Zuckerberg has said that he wants to be, he wants Facebook to be the dial tone of the internet. I mean, that's a direct quote. And by providing, you know, sort of not by really focusing Facebook on connecting people, being the being the mechanism or the network that connects people, connects and specifically connects the communication of people, really starts to bring into context why they would buy something like WhatsApp or Instagram or, you know, any myriad uh, other solutions that they might, you know, that they that they might purchase because they recognize that if you have to go through Facebook to connect with people, then they win no matter what because they can monetize the stuff that happens in between those connections. Well, here's here's my question. He talks about the the pie of Facebook, Google, and Amazon. It's really it's it's brilliant. So Facebook wants to dominate the messaging and personal connectivity of the internet. Google wants to dominate the information and functionality of the internet, and Amazon wants to dominate commerce. Here's my question: What? Where does Apple go, and where does uh, Microsoft go? Do they get a piece of the pie? Well, I think you know. Look, I think the jury's out on Microsoft. I, I, I you know, I, I have given up trying to figure out what the hell Microsoft is doing. Um, Apple is about you know, Apple. Look, Apple has always been about uh, they're a consumer electronics company, right? They are they want to be your main interface into content, and they want to have content for sure. But their but their main business is that they are the. I mean, they just literally this week we didn't even cover it here because it doesn't really cover content marketing. But this week they launched CarPlay. Which is going to be the new in-car uh, mechanism for how you access internet and content through your car? Volvo actually put out a video talking about it, and it's just—it's going to be wonderful. So it's basically your iPhone in your car, not tethered to your car. That like it's embedded into your car, and so that to me is where Apple lines up with this. They are, a, you know, they're ultimately a hardware company that that has software in order to, you know, bring you into their platform. <laughs> Microsoft, I don't know. About. Who knows, man? Well, maybe it's uh, we've been ranting enough about uh, Facebook and and yeah. Microsoft. Why don't we go on to the the rants and raves? The rants and raves. Well, you know, if we haven't been ranting and raving enough this episode, this is the segment of the show where Joe and I actually do have a formal rant or a formal rave. Um, and and you know, I guess in good good spirit of this particular episode, both of us have a rant this week. Um, and so, Joe, why don't you go first with your uh, your rant? You know, uh, and I'll I'll be brief because I feel like I've been ranting the whole episode. But the <laughs> <laughs> I I'm doing a, a presentation for, and I'll just say it's it's an association. Uh, I do a lot of presentations for associations, and and they wanted to to review some of the materials in my deck to make sure that it was appropriate, completely fine, and got uh, some information back and said. You know, this slide can't do, this slide can't do. And basically, it was talking about some things like, well, we're, all, we're mostly B2B companies. And so we don't like to talk a lot about our things that our com- competition could get a hold of. So we can't give away a lot of the secret sauce that you're talking about, Joe. So that's out. And then when you talk about the, uh, you know, the sharing, you know, we've got to make sure that you know, we, we don't want to set up relationships with too many of these media organizations because that's not what B2B companies do. And, and I literally almost lost it, Robert. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Basically, she's spelling out old words 
world, this is how old world B2B, especially the competition part of it. And you and I, we've talked about it yeah. before. And I remember you know, talking back to Jay again, Jay Bear and I, we spoke at South by Southwest to a group of consulting companies. And that was the big thing. They're like, well, if we start really helping our customers and talking about issues that they need to hear to grow relationships with them, then we've got to give up information that we don't want our competitor to get. And we said, that's right. If you, I mean, as, as the great, you know, Don Schultz has always said, you know, your one competitive advantage you have is how you communicate. Everything else can be duplicated. So if you can have right. that as your competitive advantage, yes. Will there be co- competition that sees some of that? Sure. So, but the They already know. They, they already, already know. know. You're right. They already know. You're absolutely right. But the opportunities that you open up, and would some of those customers take that knowledge and do it themselves? Yes, they might. And do you want them as customers? Absolutely not. Right. Would you want those people as, as customers? Not that not that to do content marketing great, you have to like share you know, your company's secrets. But I think the point is, is that you have to give. You have to give out information in some package in order to make this thing work. And if it's about your products and services, what's the use? And that's almost what she was saying. It's like, oh, yeah, do this whole content marketing thing. But really, we still want to talk about ourselves. And, <laughs> and I'm like, what is Enough this? Of is what this, you think about me. What do I think about me? <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, is this, is this 2005? Oh, I dear. mean, like, was, what happened here? So anyways... What's what's your rant for the week? Do you got a rant or a rave? All right. Well, you know, I I have a rant as well, um, and I'll make mine brief as well, um, since I feel like I've been ranting the entire show. Um, this really just comes out of two emails that I've gotten this week from people, one about content curation and the other about content creation. So I thought it was particularly poetic that both of them came in this week, and they both just were just annoying as all get out. The one on curation, basically the email was, Here's my problem that I have with content marketing. I want to curate and I want to be known and my company known as the thought leader in our industry, but I don't have time to read. And so I want to know if there's a tool out there that can actually, I can just tune in a bunch of sites and have it go out to my site and be then positioned as the thought leader. And I just, I just, I mean, my head almost exploded. I just wanted to say, are you, you're, are you, you're looking for a tool? You are the tool in this metaphor here. I mean, <laughs> you, I, I, it is unbelievable to me that you would even ask that question. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of, you know, there's the sort of walking around the halls that I used to get way back in the day, five, ten years ago, where there was the old cliche, everybody's in marketing, everybody has two jobs, theirs in marketing. And they all think that they can do marketing well. And it's this idea that somehow marketing can just be turned on like a machine or something like that. Same thing happened two days later. I get another email out of the blue that basically says, Hi, Robert. Yeah, I'm looking for a, a tool or an agency because we're thinking about doing this massive content marketing campaign. And basically, we're looking for someone who can produce 100 blog posts for us a month um, and, uh, and, and position us as really the, the best and most advanced thought leader out there. And I just went, oh, my God, I, 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 can't even, I can't even respond to this without thinking to myself, this is what – I mean, this is what Mark Schaefer is talking about with content shock, is this idea that somehow we're going to take a bucket full of content, throw it up against the wall, and all of a sudden we're going to be basically successful. It's just – 
It's the craziness. It, it's, it's, it's just so uh, 2009. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely. Now, what it, I mean, the thing that really annoys me is is that it what it discounts is the practice, the science, and the art of marketing. And I have worked so hard in my life to try and be a good marketing person and to have some thought behind what I do and to have people basically reduce it to, ah, I just need a tool. Just give me a tool and I'll get, I'll, get to some, I'll get to that marketing when I get to it. Or, yeah, we can just hire an agency and they'll do that marketing thing for us. It's just – that stuff just it gets under my skin. Well, there's still a lot of – you know, that we're still in the – I like to use baseball metaphors. We're still in the first three innings. Of this thing, and we know when we talk to people like this because they still think content marketing is a check the box. That's right. Need lots of content, spew it out all over the place, and for whatever reason, you're so right. We forgot marketing. We forgot how to do marketing. It's like because we can do this content thing. That's right. Blows me away. Well, speaking of old marketing, let's bring let's bring some positive love back into the show, and I let's know, we let's, need some. Let's talk about this old marketing. I your example this week is just a wonderful. I'm a fan of the company, um, and I'm a fan of what they're doing. So, tell us about Patagonia and what they're doing. And they, as far as I know, now this is not old. Old, not like we had. I think the last issue was from whatever 1867 or something. Right. This is not old. Old marketing. They've been doing this for for at least over a year, as far as I know. This is Patagonia, uh, the clothing retailer, and um, they do something called the Footprint Chronicles. And I found this, I don't know, it probably was over a year ago at this point, and I love this because what they do is they tell the story around how they supply their clothes, how they get all the materials for their clothes, and they basically check the facts against are they being sustainable or not, or are they being uh, pro-environment with that. And it's amazing because they go through the whole process. It's all visual, and they've been updating it. And they, as they get new suppliers, they show the maps and how they do it. And they basically say, here we're falling down. Here's a problem. This is not ecologically friendly. And they say, why? And then they say, here, oh, here we're doing a good job, but we need to do a little bit better. Better. And I've never seen, I don't know if you have, I've never seen a company come out and start telling all these stories on a consistent basis about shame on us. We need to do better here. And if if that's not just a perfect that's a perfect story for what Patagonia is all about. Right. Well, it's and, just it's just wonderful because they're not only they're not only it's it's not just about them, right? They're actually teaching people how to be better citizens and, and in their case better corporate citizens in the world. And they're using themselves as sort of the hero in this story of, of their own sort of journey through this and all of the mistakes and foibles and and successes and everything else that they have. But it's not done in a way to say, look how awesome we are. It's done in the way to say, this is the way it should be done, and, and we're trying our best to, to do it. And it's, 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 for me, it's just wonderful storytelling and putting themselves, in this case, at the center of it. And, and uh, boy, and bringing the, uh, their uh, vendors, uh, kind of raising them up a notch, because you can't work with Patagonia if you don't have certain standards. Yeah. Uh, and and they're basically they're just catching themselves instead of having a journalist do it. Yeah. Traditionally, a journalist would have done this. Uh, they're doing it themselves. So, yeah, and it's just I mean it's one of those things where you you know content marketing it just shows it shows you once again that content marketing is for the entirety of the funnel. It doesn't have to just be about being found or being you know nurturing a lead through the sales pipeline. It can be about engagement. It can be about loyalty. It can be about you know making people making the customers that you have engaged feel better about their engagement with you and addressing even your partners and vendors into that conversation as well. 
that is it. Thankfully That's for this it. show. Oh my That's gosh, it. we were this, <laughs> the, the a, end of the snarky this episode. One. This this is going to be the snarky episode. Um, so where are you? Where where? What's up for you next? What what's what's going on for you? Uh, I've got some local events here, and you know, gearing up for um, you know, boy, I just saw you. We're gonna we're gearing up for Sydney Content Marketing World Sydney coming Woo-hoo. up. I'll make a brief stop at Social Media Marketing World on on the West Coast. Uh, you and I are going to do Sydney. We're doing. We're going to do Singapore, and then we're gearing up for a fantastic program for uh, uh, Content Marketing World Executive Forum. And I know you and I have been working on that for a while. We're we super excited. That'll be May in San Francisco. So it the first six months of the year, man, super busy. Yep. And we've just but, launched uh, online training, which is just Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. We were talking – you know, that whole time we were talking about – Training and education. We didn't even mention we just <laughs> got to marketing. We just right. launched online training. So there you go. Check it out, boys and girls. That, that is it. That is it. Yes. And I'm, I couldn't be, I made all my arrangements today to be traveling through three continents over the next four weeks. So it's going to be, it's going to be some busy traveling. Well, that is it for this, the snarky episode, episode number 16 of This Old Marketing. And for Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. Remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, um, and we promise not to be snarky all the time, tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing. Or, you know, send an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was episode number 16. And if you like this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.